This is KBOO Portland. It's 9.59 a.m. And coming up at 10, we have Madness Radio, followed at 10.30 with Film at 11. And then at 11, we'll round out the morning with Pacific Underground. And you can hear all of this after airtime on KBOO.FM on iTunes and Google Play. A third way, download the mobile app. Take KBOO with you. This is all possible with the support of a 501c3 membership foundation. That's the KBOO Foundation, and you can be a member at kboo.fm. You click where it says donate, and that's your investment in the community resource that supports not only you and your friends and neighbors and people you've never met and people you might not care for all that much, but you know that we all need KBU and that KBU needs you. We'll hear some more about other community members that get involved in the manner and to the extent that makes sense for them later on. For now, here's these important announcements followed by Madness Radio. Stay tuned. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the Festival of Nations on Saturday, September 7th, 11 a.m. at the Extended Home LLC building in Portland. The Festival of Nations celebrates and embraces the diversity of the Division Midway District of Portland. There will be cultural foods, vendors, activities, community services, and more. Again, that's the Festival of Nations on Saturday, September 7th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Extended Home LLC building. 14410 Southeast Division Street in Portland. More information can be found on the kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO Community Radio holds regular open meetings of its board of directors. The most recent meeting happened on Monday, August 26th. The agenda for this meeting was not completed. As a result, this board meeting will be continuing on Monday, September 9th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at our studio, located at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland. What does it mean to be called crazy in a crazy world? Listen to Madness Radio, Voices and Visions from Outside Mental Health. An affiliate of Madden America Radio, broadcasting on KBOO in Oregon, sponsored by Portland Hearing Voices and the Icarus Project, and syndicated on the Pacifica Network. Madness Radio is online at kboo.fm slash madnessradio and at maddenamerica.com. Welcome to Madness Radio. This is your host, Will Hall. Today, our guest is Jill Ion. Jill is a poet and a visual artist. She's a psychiatric survivor, and she has worked as a legal advocate for abused children and as a forensic medium for law enforcement and in the private sector. Jill's new book of poetry is titled Soft Outspoken. So welcome to Madness Radio, Jill Ion. Thank you. Jill, I'm really interested in having you on on the show, both because you're a fantastic poet. Your new book, Soft Outspoken, really speaks from a very strong survivor standpoint about facing both psychiatric abuse and also gender violence. And I'm also interested in your voice hearing, 
because you are a forensic medium, which means that law enforcement and people in society hire you because of your voice hearing gift. Is that, is that right? Yes. How does that, how does that work? What does it mean to be a forensic medium? I connect with the spirit of an individual who oftentimes has tossed out of the world. So they are no longer embodied in the physical realm. They're no longer on earth as human beings. They've died and they exist in the spirit realms. And so I connect with their spirit and are able to communicate with their spirit to find out details about their passing, how they passed, where their bodies might be located, who was involved in their disappearance, their murders, and the circumstances around their deaths. I work solely in that area. People who are missing and with suspicious death and homicide cases. I don't do kind of general mediumship where people would like to connect with their relatives or loved ones who have passed. I only work with professionals in the area to find out those particular details about their passing and about um, where to locate their bodies once they have passed, if that is unknown in the case. And you have this capacity and it's so solid in you that actually you are hired by law enforcement because you produce results. You're actually able to get verifiable information out of your mediumship gift. Right. And oftentimes law enforcement, when law enforcement doesn't have any information, for example, the first real time that I ever experienced this gift in in the way that I use it now is when I was about 19, I was in college. And my neighbor, I was living in a house off campus and one of my neighbors disappeared. And I knew immediately when I heard about his disappearance, what had happened. I knew that he had been murdered. And later on, it came out they discovered his body and, and learned more about the circumstances of his death. And I realized that I was correct about that. So you didn't have any direct knowledge, but you just knew through your mediumship ability. Correct. About 10 years later, and a young man in my town went missing. And there were pictures of him around town. And I didn't know him while he was alive. Um, I didn't recognize him, even though I lived in a very small town but I took one of the flyers home with me and I was very worried about him. I was very worried about the fact that he had gone missing. So you had kind of a, an emotional connection even though you didn't, you didn't know him. Yes, it worried me that he, he was missing. So I wanted to do something to help, but I didn't actually know that this was a capacity that I had. I did have that early experience, but I didn't share it with anyone. And I didn't really remember that experience that I had had. But I went home and I sat down and I tried to connect with his spirit. Sounds a little bit, a little bit out there because I didn't have a teacher, a formal teacher. I'd never taken classes in mediumship or anything. But I realized that I could connect with his spirit and I could hear him speaking to me. And so I wrote down everything he told me about how he had died and what 
the circumstances were surrounding that and I contacted law enforcement. I went to them and well, they responded to me and they told me that they wanted to speak to me. And at first when I spoke to them, I didn't really know how to communicate with them about what I knew. They asked me how I knew what I knew about his death and I wasn't sure exactly how to explain that to them. Um, I didn't really have a handle on how to communicate the experience. And they were skeptical of me to put it mildly. They weren't quite sure what to make of me, and they seemed to think that I was connected to the disappearance in some way, that I knew <laughs> that I knew someone who was responsible for his disappearance um, directly, even though I assured them that I did not. And soon after that, a detective who was working on the case, who had gone through the case file and found my notes and he was working in, in conjunction with the pr prosecutor at that time. And from what I understood later, the head prosecutor was someone who really believed in the power of mediums and the mediumship, people who had mediumship ability that we could be helpful and that it was a real skill that they could use. And so they contacted me and asked me if I would help them work on the case. And I told them that I was willing to help them with the case <laughs> if they did not consider me a suspect. Right, right. And I, I assured them again that I didn't know the individual in life and I didn't know anybody associated with his disappearance or his murder. But they didn't have any information about what had happened to him or where he was. And so they were in the dark and they wanted to see me work. So they wouldn't allow me to kind of work in my own space and bring them the information. I had to sit down with them in a conference room and do the mediumship in front of them. And for someone who hadn't worked as a medium before and certainly hadn't worked as a forensic medium, this was a lot of pressure. I didn't know what I was doing exactly. Um, so that's how I started as a forensic medium. An important part of this story is several years before that, I took a trip to India. I was there for six months and I was studying Buddhism. And I had this idea since I was a child that I wanted to become a Buddhist nun. So I was there kind of exploring that idea and um, asking permission that you have to get to become ordained in that tradition, Tibetan Buddhist tradition. And I encountered uh, Rinpoche, who is the holder of two lineages in Tibetan Buddhism. His name is Ayang Rinpoche. When I sat down with him and I told him about some of my experiences and some of what was going on with me, he gave me a piece of information that was very, very valuable and that was valuable in my withdrawal from psychiatric medication. But it was also very valuable in having the courage to try and reach out to this missing boy when I found the, his flyer in town was that I had abilities that I didn't know that I had yet. But as I got older, I would discover those abilities. They were would be uncovered. This is what the Rinpoche told you. Correct. And he told me that I was a Dakini and that I had incarnated from another realm, spiritual realm, into this lifetime on purpose for a reason, and that this gave me these abilities. I had been developing these abilities for many, many lifetimes. He said, you can become a nun if you want to, but you don't need to do that. 
because you don't need to take that route. You have already been in that role for many, many lifetimes in the past. This is how part of how you gained the spiritual insight and the abilities that you have now. So as you get older, you're going to discover that you have abilities that you don't know that you have yet. I didn't know what he meant by that. I wasn't sure exactly what kind of abilities he was speaking of. One of the things that was important about that meeting and about that information is that this idea of other spiritual realms existing and that we can incarnate into this realm of being and have these kinds of abilities um, that are very, very useful and that are indicators of spiritual insight is not an idea that exists in the mainstream culture here. And so when I discovered that I had the abilities that I have, I didn't go to the doctor and complain about the symptoms that I was experiencing because I didn't think about them as symptoms. I had that context that he had given me. He gave me a kind of a story, a way of thinking about voice hearing that I didn't get from this culture. I got from him. And Jill, you've said a number of times about connecting with the ancestors and hearing the ancestors and the ancestors talking to you. So for people who don't have that experience, what is that like? That's a great question. When I was a little girl, before I knew that I was a medium, I would be alone at night in my bedroom and I would feel the presence of people around me that I couldn't see. I thought maybe they were ghosts, but I wasn't quite sure what was happening. That's one way. <laughs> and when you say feel the presence, I mean, was it, how is that happening in your body? Is it sort of a, are you seeing something or is it just a sense of like, oh, someone is here with me? Are you hearing them? Or When the lights are off and someone who is someone human embodied in the physical realm walks into the room even though it's dark you can't see them you do know that they're there usually and the reason that you know is because number one they are there and you don't need to see someone there to know that they're there because there's a sense that there's another being in the room with you that you can't see you just know that there is someone else there that's what it's like. That was what it was like when I was a little girl. When I was in college, the first experience I ever had of voice hearing was I was in the shower and I was a resident advisor. So I was there between semesters and there weren't any other students in the residence hall. There wasn't anyone in the residence hall. And I was taking a shower. I was thinking about a friend of mine who lived a couple of hours away in another city and all of a sudden, I heard a very loud voice coming from another part of the bathroom. I looked out the bathroom stall to see if anyone was there because it sounded human. It sounded like a human's voice. It was a little bit too loud to be a human's voice unless the human was shouting at me. But it, I was startled. I was terrified. And I wasn't sure what just happened. <laughs> the voice told me that my friend 
was coming going to be coming into town that week in a couple of days so the 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 spirit knew what i had what i was thinking and it was giving me information that i didn't have yet it turns out what was interesting was my friend did not come into town that week and i thought wow not only am i hearing voices but those voices aren't giving me correct information <laughs> this is not good this is not a good sign um, but actually, when <laughs> about a week later, I learned that he was planning on coming. When when my guide told me that, he was planning on coming into town. So it was correct in the moment that he gave me the information, which was a great lesson, spiritual lesson for me. But um, he had to postpone the trip because of something else that came up. And so he actually came into town the following week. And at the time, I went to a medium that I knew in town and I said, told her what had happened. And she kind of shrugged and said, well, yeah, that's kind of normal thing. Like, that's what happens to mediums, right? Like, <laughs> she was very nonchalant about this experience. So that's a one way that we can hear our ancestors and hear our guides is as disembodied voices that sound like they're human but that was the only time that that kind of i i've ever heard a voice like quite like that with that quality generally when i hear my ancestors and i communicate with spirits like in my mediumship work as a forensic medium they communicate with me internally as an internal voice and so they sound like a thought sounds when i think it now, sometimes it's a little bit tricky to discern what is my thought and what is a voice that I'm hearing. But generally, they speak to me in a voice that has a different quality than my own voice. This was before the boy went missing in my town. I think it was the same, the same year that the boy went missing. I asked my guides to show me, to give me a sign whether or not I was actually doing this. Was this a real phenomenon? And one morning I woke up and I started hearing a voice inside my mind telling me to turn on the television. Now, I had just woken up and I didn't want to turn on the television. I, I had no reason to turn on the television, but it wouldn't leave me alone. It kept repeating the same phrase, turn on the television. And I thought, this is ridiculous. What am I, I don't, I'll turn on the television later. And it wouldn't, it kept telling me to turn on the television. So finally I got up and I turned on the television and it was the morning of 9-11. And every single station had the same cameras trained on the World Trade Center. And I thought, oh, I had asked you for a sign that I would not be able to deny. And you, you gave it to me. Thank you for that sign. Oftentimes I hear my ancestors speaking to me through thoughts. They speak to me through a sensation that I have in my body of knowing. They communicate with me through images that come to me. For you, you're very exceptional in the sense that you have this external validation of having police forces hiring you. And so what are some examples of times maybe when you've been able to demonstrate that yes, this isn't just some imaginal belief I'm coming up with. This is actually real access to real information that can actually be useful to law enforcement. 
I have a client who comes to me or on that, on that first occasion when I reached out to law enforcement when that boy went missing. Was there any information that came out about that that was helpful? When, when I sat down with them, they had no information. So we were sitting down as two parties. I was sitting down with the prosecutor and with uh, the detective and they were taking notes and I was demonstrating mediumship. It was the first time I ever did that with anyone. I didn't know that I, I could do that until I sat down with them on this case, even though I had had some experiences that I hadn't shared with other people. And so the boy who had gone missing, who he had been murdered, he was there with us in spirit. And he was communicating with me about the questions that they needed answers to, like how was he murdered? Who was he murdered by? You know, where did this happen? Where is his body now? And so he showed me and told me the information. Now, when I was conveying that information, not only was this process a relatively new process for me, but I didn't know if the information I was getting was accurate or not, because I didn't, I was trusting the information that he was giving me, but I couldn't verify it myself either. So when I gave it to them, I didn't know if it was correct and they didn't know if it was correct. But once they found the individual who was responsible and he confessed, they found the body, then they knew that the information that I had given them was accurate. It was about at least 90% accurate. And that's just one example of how you've been helping law enforcement with your mediumship. Is there another example you'd like to share with us? Several years ago, before I came off of the medication, while I was still on the medication, I did still have some connection to the spirit realm and could communicate to some degree with the spirit realm. And I was able to do the work, even though it wasn't on a consistent basis and on as a consistent basis as I would like to do it in the future. But um, there was a case in North Carolina that um, where a child named Zara Baker went missing. Um, I believe it was in Hickory, North Carolina. And I knew when I heard the coverage of that case that I could help with that case. And so I contacted uh, law enforcement in Hickory and they asked one of their officers to contact me and put him, assigned him to maintain contact with me. So I worked with them on that case, on the Zara Baker case. That, that received international coverage because, well, it was a child that went missing. Her mother uh, murdered her, her stepmother did. Oh my God. So it's interesting that, you know, my own history of violence and trauma as a crime victim helps me to understand and to connect with victims in the spirit realm. That is one gift, I believe, of the experience of those traumas that I endured, was that it gives me a very deep connection and a, a way of, I have an affinity to those victims because of what they endured. And so it's very easy for me to identify with them and to form relationships with them because of the shared experience that we have. Seeing things that other people don't see, 
and hearing things that other people don't hear. To take the language of the psychiatric evaluation, the idea that those experiences are symptoms of mental illness, and yet law enforcement agencies in this country and the military are using people's skills that are identical because they are another way of knowing because they fill in blanks that are necessary to be a more full picture. The idea that these are symptoms of mental illness sounds more to me like these are unsanctioned ways of knowing. These are unsanctioned ways of gaining insight that allow people, certain people to have authority and be considered authorities and other people to be considered marginalized in some cases. In other cases, those skills and abilities are seen as very valuable and are able to give insight and are worthy of being paid for. They're the identical experiences. So what is really going on here? <laughs> yeah. It's a great question. What does it mean to be called crazy in a crazy world? That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, we we don't have a lot of of time left, but there's there's one poem that you know so much of your work and your story is about being a survivor and standing up to sexist violence. And there's one poem I I, I would invite you to read the No Trespassing poem. Sure. This poem, No Trespassing, it identifies a woman named Isabel, who is a woman who is, she's also a writer, who has survived sexual violence as a child. She did. And she had a sign in her bedroom that I refer to in the poem. So this is No Trespassing. One day I'll walk without invitations for rides shouted by men in pickup trucks, driving in the opposite direction, straight to hell, and wait without an incessant flow of questions about my marital status and whether I've been incarcerated or not, as though that would explain why I'm not married yet. If I'm looking for a boyfriend and why not, whether I'll take their phone numbers to call them when I'm ready constant harassment embeds itself in me. I think I'll tattoo no trespassing across my chest after all and walk with a pit bull named Happy, my body between sandwich boards that read like the sign in Isabel's bedroom did, no hunting or fishing here. Just after I was raped in college, I that night, I told a friend that I was going to tattoo no trespassing across my chest. And so that's the other reference in that poem. Thank you so much for having me, Will. It's been wonderful. It's been so powerful. And thank you so much for, for being here. Maybe you'd like to mention how people can contact you and also remind us the name of your new collection of poetry and how people can get a copy. Um, the collection is called Soft Out spoken. There's a Facebook page of that name. You can also contact me and find out more information about how to buy the book online. It'll be in multiple different online stores. And the website is jylanais.com. 
Jill Ion, thank you for joining us today on Madness Radio. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to an interview with Jill Ion. She is a poet and visual artist and also a psychiatric survivor. Jill worked as a legal advocate for abused children, and she also works as a forensic medium for law enforcement and the private sector. Her new book of poetry is Soft Outspoken. That's all the time we have on Madness Radio. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Madness Radio, voices and visions from outside mental health. Madness Radio host is Will Hall. Producer is Nina Packabush. Madness Radio is an affiliate of Madden America Radio, broadcasting on KBOO in Oregon, sponsored by Portland Hearing Voices and the Icarus Project, and syndicated on the Pacifica Network. Madness Radio is online at kboo.fm slash madnessradio and at maddenamerica.com. This is KBOO Portland. It's 10.30 a.m. And coming up in just a moment, we have film at 11. This, like much, like all KBOO programming, is made possible by KBOO members, listeners, and, and support from Dark Side Cinema. Open every night featuring independent, foreign, and art house films. The Dark Side is located at 215 Southwest 4th Street between Madison and Jefferson Avenues in Corvallis, Oregon. More information and showtimes available online at darksidecinema.com.